0: What is up, everyone? My name is Evan Damero, co-host of Locked on Cavs. Today, I am joined by Alex Wolfe, one of the hosts of Locked on Knicks, to check in on the ongoing series between Cleveland and New York and look ahead to the upcoming matchups at Madison Square Garden. You are Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland
1: Cavaliers podcast.
0: As I said before, everyone, my name is Evan Damrell and I'm joined by Alex Wolfen. But before we start, I just want to remind you that the Cavs do play the Knicks on Friday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Catch every basket of Cavs hometown broadcast featuring Tim Alcorn and Jim Jones on the SiriusXM app. Just search the SiriusXM app and then look up Cavs after you download it. Also, just want to thank you guys for making Locked on Cavs and Locked on Knicks your first listen every day. Both shows are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Both shows are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which, as you may know at this point, features your team every day. Alex, how you doing, man? Not
1: bad, all things <laughs> considered. <laughs> you know, it, the Knicks kind of crapped the bed last night. Um, but, you know, a 1-1 series tie coming out of Cleveland, I think, is about reasonably as good of an act- outcome as you can expect for a five seed versus a four seed. So I'm feeling all right. You know, I mean, I just hope that I was hoping for a closer game in game two, because I do feel like that was a sort of momentum shifting game where now you can't really hang your hat on like, Oh, at least we played them tight for two games. Now it's kind of like, Oh, like, okay. Yeah. We beat them in a tight game in game one and then got the doors absolutely blown off in game two. Uh, not the best outcome mm. if, if you're the New York Knicks or Knicks fan for that matter.
0: So it's interesting you note that um, we we can dive more into it as we look ahead to what game three and four holds in Madison Square Garden. But for game one, I mean, if you're a Cavs fan, you thought the sky was falling, Rome was burning, uh, Moondog, the mascot was fiddling as watching Rome burn. But It was kind of surprising because the Knicks came into game one and they really out hustled and they punched the Cavs in the mouth and kind of beat them at their own game, which is just being more physical, being more dominant on defense um, and just doing a lot of just the little fundamental things that when you and I were just talking about the series heading in or when Chris and Gavin were talking about the series heading in, like the most obvious thing was, hey. Mitchell Robinson is arguably the best offensive rebounder in the league, especially for his position. Um, Josh Hart just has a nose for finding rebounds, especially just because the Knicks use him as a small ball four and they can utilize him just one through three in that regard too, just in defensive situations as well. And the Cavs kind of just let the Knicks do whatever they want and played Knicksian style basketball. And sure, Julius Randle wasn't 100 percent, but Julius Randle looked pretty solid and i think frustrated evan mobley at times um jalen brunson like i was stunned that he was able just to have that dramatic swing in the second half just after all the foul trouble he was in in the first half and uh, we you and i talked about this a lot just like in terms of just series predictions and things like that But like josh hart was a huge factor in game one for the knicks and i think if it wasn't for that ankle injury he would have been the more dominant force for New York in both of these games just because he was really giving it to the Cavs and just finding a way to frustrate Cleveland to the point where you're like, yeah, this is a dude you'd hate to face, but you'd love to have him on your team.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to make a difference the entire series. Like that's just kind of his brand of basketball being like that, that glue guy, you know, the the guy that's going to basically hustle for every second that he's on the court. Now, Obviously, he gave us a scare. I mean, we literally, thanks to the injury designation, we, like, recorded a whole episode for the day of the game that was like, how do the Knicks adjust to a life without Josh Hart for a game? Because, you know, he's Mm -hmm. such a huge part of what they do. And, you know, instead then the doubtful designation changes to questionable and then he ends up taking the Mm -hmm. floor and he looks basically totally fine um, in game two. I mean, he's not going to be the problem at all. He's always going to give you exactly what he wants or exactly what the team wants and also, like, guess what he wants, which is just, like, out-hustle everybody, get rebounds, um, generally make everybody's lives on the opposing team a living hell. Um, But, like, I think the more concerning thing for the Knicks in Game 2, like, I thought their defense was actually, like, I mean, not the worst. Like, the Cavs' Mm shot-making got a lot better. But the most concerning thing to me was that it was just like the Knicks found their old selves in a bad way. Like they found like early season Knicks and like last season Knicks where lack of shot making was infectious in a really bad way Mm -hmm. and nobody could make anything. And of course the Cavs played really good defense on them too. They played really physical and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of did their own thing to them. But it was so funny because like in the first like five minutes or so, I was thinking to myself when the Knicks were up like 12 to six or whatever the score was at that particular moment, I was like, Oh man, this might, we might be working with something here. like the Knicks kind of seem like they found something like they're, they're doing the same stuff. Like Jalen Brunson was doing his quote unquote antics, which is, you know, like just playing mm-hmm. a modern style of basketball and trying to draw fouls and stuff. And he got in a core and foul trouble in the first couple of seconds, you know, and you're just like, okay, all right. They're doing like the same stuff again. This seems great. And then, all of a sudden the wheels just came off and it seemed like nobody could make anything. And that's mm-hmm. a problem. Like the Knicks need to they need to find a way to steal themselves against that. But they it just always seems to happen like a like it's like contagious amongst them. More so shot missing than shot making sometimes where all of a sudden the whole team just goes cold at once. And this has been a problem for like mm-hmm. years and years, but something that we haven't seen for at least the last few months. And it was unfortunate to see that kind of rear tug we had again for the Knicks.
0: Do you think it was Cleveland maybe responding to the physicality? Because in game one, and that was just kind of the through line for the Cavs, like JP Bickerstaffs mentioned, just like, "Hey, the Knicks out hustled us and out worked us and just kind of hit us in a way that we weren't comfortable." Darius Garland just openly said like, "Hey, I didn't play well," but like the Knicks just kind of sucker punched us. And we never really responded to it, other than Donovan Mitchell, who seemed to be kind of finding his way in the series and then Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, like the the, the list goes on and on. Like everyone agreed like, yeah, the Knicks just kind of came into our house and punched us in the mouth and we just didn't have a response to them and it, it, I agree, like in the opening moments of the game, especially with Brunson getting a coro in foul trouble, you're thinking like, oh boy, the Cavs didn't make any adjustments. They said all the right things, but they aren't going to do anything to fix it. But you kind of just notice like a, a switch flip almost where the Cavs just said, OK, that's enough. We're going to just kind of bully the Knicks back a little bit and make them uncomfortable. Did it, so you're saying like I understand and I agree that. New York was struggling to find just shot creation opportunities. They were making Jalen Brunson uncomfortable. I think they were just kind of daring guys like Emmanuel Quickly or RJ Barrett just to kind of beat them. And maybe even Julius Randle, who is functional as a player but isn't 100% out there as well. Like, just basically, hey, we're going to try and cut the head off the snake a little bit here. And we're going to rough you up a lot along the way. Do you think that just kind of flustered New York a little bit just because – they weren't expecting Cleveland just to kind of come on so hard like that. And then just that shifted the momentum back in Cleveland's favor. Then Darius Garland, just kind of probing New York's defense and just hitting a lot of just really, really, really crazy three point shots, just fully swung things back in Cleveland's favor. Like, I don't know. It's just interesting because New York kind of had a recipe for success in game one. And it felt like they were just rattled all of game two. And like, they lost what worked for them in game one and just kind of threw things to the wayside.
1: Yeah, getting really physical with certain guys on the Knicks is like their kryptonite, um, which maybe doesn't seem like it would be the case mm-hmm. given the fact that they obviously now have this sort of rep as like a physical team. And they're certainly always going to play that way on defense and stuff. But like Julius Randle, if you feed into his worst tendencies, his worst tendencies tell him to complain a lot. Um, and to... <laughs> want to be treated like a superstar. And if he feels like he's not getting the calls that a superstar gets, I mean, that was basically the story of all of last year was he was still putting Mm. up some decent counting stats and stuff, but he was just miserable to watch as a fan because he just, and I I saw some of this come out last night where it was just like, all right, dude, like we get it. Like you're not getting foul calls, but like, you got to kind of like just kind of buckle up and you know, Mm. I thought he mostly did a good job, but there was some points where he seemed kind of, like some of his worst tendencies started coming out. And then that was where you started seeing like, like the wheels start to fall for the Knicks in general. Um, I mean, I give all the credit to Jalen Brunson. I mean, he did a little bit of that as well, but not to the extent. Um, but then the other guys on the team, it's just like, you know, yeah, you do need someone else to step up. I do think that mm-hmm. the Knicks weren't entirely expecting that result from the Cavs as far as like just how physical they were. I thought that they sort of, uh, and, and look I thought this too based off the quotes coming out of Cleveland I thought oh the Knicks are kind of in their head like they've they've kind of got this like because yeah. Cleveland after game one is is going on and on about like oh they're, they're so physical and this that the other they're pulling antics and this that the other thing and it's like okay you know I, I mean maybe but it seemed like they were just playing playoff basketball to me and then Cleveland it, it mm-hmm. seemed like actually was very true to their word where they were like okay well if this is what's going to be acceptable in this series then here we go. We're going to come out and play a different way in the second game. And they fully did that. And I do think they really took the Knicks off their uh, their rhythm quite a bit by doing that.
0: Well, we'll talk about more of that in a second. But speaking of uh, the wheels falling off, that happens to happen to your car. (laughs) You should check out today's sponsor, eBay Motors, to fix it up. For a championship team like the Cavs or the Knicks, ensuring every player is a perfect fit. And it's the same way for your vehicle. Every part needs just They just need to fit right, so head to eBay Motors next time you need parts and accessories. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Add your ride to My Garage and look for Green Check to know it will be part or it will fit with your car or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, bringing home a win is easy when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride, folks. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are back. Alex, tell me all about how Knicks fans can check out uh, the Knicks broadcast on Sirius Sirius XM if they happen not to be in the market.
1: Yeah, well, the Knicks are playing the Cavs on Friday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and uh, you know, if if you want to get similar to what you get with Locked On, where you get a personalized experience just for your team, if you want to get that, you can get that from SiriusXM. Catch every quarter, every shot, everything of the Knicks hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Knicks.
0: And if you want to check out more before the game and you want to get more in depth with the Cavs or the Knicks, listen to Locked on Cavs or Locked on Knicks because this is a crossover where Alex and I keep diving deeper into this current Eastern Conference playoff series between Cleveland and New York. And I just want to pick up right where we left off and let's talk about adjustments because it's clear Cleveland made some adjustments heading into game two. They Punted on Ricky Rubio, they benched Dean Wade in favor of um, Jetty Osmond, Karis LeVert, and Danny Green off the bench. J.B. Vickerstadt pulled a club plug on Isaac Coro and went with Karis LeVert for the pretty much the entirety of the game. I believe he played almost 40 minutes in this one. What did you think of Cleveland just kind of making adjustments uh, just to kind of probe and gauge what New York was throwing at them defensively compared to game one to game two?
1: It was smart. I mean, they put more shooting on the floor. I think like Danny Green is like the ageless wonder dude. Like I I don't I don't understand how this guy is still just operates at the level that he does. Like at, at whatever age he is, <laughs> I almost <laughs> like thirty eight. Like <laughs> Danny Green's been playing basketball for forever, and you know putting know. him in there was smart. He made some he made some shots. Um, you know Osman I really like quite a bit. I, you know I, I think that the strategy was sound, which was essentially the one thing that you can get against the Knicks is three point shots. Like they're Mm -hmm. consistently under tips. They're not great at purely deterring teams from shooting threes. Um, they're good at, at their best at deciding who gets to shoot threes. Um, if the other team has a weak link, then they will find that weak link and they will let them shoot threes. Um, and you know, we sort of saw that with the core in game one, right? Mm -hmm. He went like one of six. Um, and Levert also didn't shoot super well in game one, but obviously rebounded in a big way in game two, which was a a danger that you take as the Knicks if you're leaving a guy like that open. Cause this is a guy mm-hmm. that, for better or worse, has scored 50 points in his career. You know, like this dude, this dude can score. He can put points on the board. Um, so like I I didn't totally love the strategy from the Knicks, but I think the Cavs were pretty brilliant with the way that they played it, much as so it pains me to admit. Like the way to beat the Knicks is just put as much shooting on the floor as possible. And if, if you're able to have guys at least on the calves from one to four, that Mm -hmm. can shoot the three, that's going to be enough to like, and we'll just assume for the sake of conversation that like Evan Mobley, like could consistently shoot it, which I know is like still not totally in his bag yet, but like Mm -hmm. is enough in his bag that it can, it can scare you. Um, I think you're in good shape against the Knicks because that's like the, the four spot really has killed them traditionally. Or, like, the five, like, if God forbid you have a shooting five, like, the Knicks are screwed. Because um, that's always just been, like, one of those things that's, like, their big bugaboos. Like, they can't have Mitchell Robinson, groves playing center, out of the paint to mm-hmm. cover a guy on the perimeter. Um, but there's so few, like, true sharp shooting fives that they have not had to deal with that too much. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of, like, the occasional, like, Miles Turner, like, seven for seven from three game. Um, but, like, if you can put shooting at at least three out of five positions and then work your offense in such a way that you can find guys on the perimeter via pick and roll and stuff like that like that's a definite weakness for the knicks and and definitely something that the Cavs took advantage of in that game
0: and i'm again i'm just curious because i didn't notice like obviously new york made adjustments but i'm, I'm just i think a lot a lot of it was the Knicks were rattled just because whether it's just the crowd, like the crowd on Tuesday was a lot more just boisterous. They're a lot louder, more engaged compared to the crowd on Saturday. Maybe it was just nerves across the board for both the players and the fans. But I'm curious to look at just like looking forward as we shift from Cleveland to New York. And it's funny because Darius Garland said, like, listen, we nobody's rooting for us in New York. And. My, my my buddy my buddy Jesse, um, I texted him after Darius said that quote. And I said, hey, because he's a he's a Cavs fan living in Manhattan, and I said Darius doesn't think you're a real fan. He's just like, well, burning all my stuff. But um, for the <clears throat> most part, like the Cavs are going into a hostile environment, and they're not a good road team. They were twenty and twenty-one this season, and you had noted like the Knicks aren't great at defending home court sometimes, but Cleveland did struggle uh, in the Garden this season as well. So for you, like just as somebody who observes the Knicks and is obviously a lot more familiar with them, what adjustments did you see going from game one to game two? And then to ape off that a little bit, what do you think New York can do from going to game two to game three to maybe stymie some of what Cleveland threw at them in game two? Because yeah, I'll be frank, the, the Cavs found a formula for success uh, for game two. They're going to mostly copy what they did in game two and apply it to game three with probably some minor alterations, but why try to fix something that clearly wasn't broken after you lock up your first one in this series
1: yeah and i don't even know that they necessarily like i think it was mostly just that the Cavs made a great adjustment you know like switching their whole rotation around off the bench is is pretty big and that's a lot mm-hmm. for like Tibbs to process tibbs is not a great in-game processor um which i think was demonstrated like he didn't know that cleveland was going to sit those guys and therefore he assumed that they were going to play and probably the rest of the team did too. But then once they weren't playing and then all of a sudden Danny Green's playing and, and uh, Shetty Osmond is playing for longer and, you know, like you got these guys that you weren't expecting to see out there and like, you know, Levert playing 40 minutes, like all this stuff. Like, I think that that probably threw him for a loop Mm -hmm. to a degree that said, like, again, I don't like, if you look at like 107 points for as dominant as yeah. it felt like Cleveland was on offense is not that crazy in today's NBA. Like that's still a decent number to hold a team to. It was mostly just that the Knicks like this is like a heavyweight fight. Like I almost wonder if that's just what this whole series is going to be. Like it was just like it was like watching, like I just recently finally watched the the Creed movies, right? And like then uh-huh. watched because I couldn't resist watch some of the Rocky movies. And it's like in those movies, it's just like this <laughs> comical, like semi realistic uh uh interpretation of boxing where it's just these guys throwing haymakers at each other and you just hear especially in the Rocky movies like oh, yeah. you know, just like guys taking giant shots to the face and, you know, like somehow being like, all right, I'm ready to go again, you know, like and then going mm-hmm. back. And that kind of feels like what this series is going to be. Like it, based on yeah. how things went game one to two, it was like, okay, Nick set the tone for physicality and right. for rebounding and for defense and what's going to be allowed and then game two cleveland said okay we're going to do that but you know like we're going to add the 10 percent to what the knicks were just doing and see what we can get away with and they got away with it and now i feel mm-hmm. like the knicks having home court advantage then are going to go and be like okay well now we're going to take it and we're going to put it at you know 10 percent more than that and see what we can get away with um but the, the garden crowd will make a big difference yeah for sure like i I don't think that should be understated. Like the Knicks aren't the Knicks have solved some of their home woes this year. Like Mm -hmm. they're definitely better. They were better, especially once they got like Josh Hart. Like Josh Hart was a big catalyst all across the board. But they like finally started like really defending home court once they got him. Um, And once he started giving that that energy that he gives, which is the sort of stuff that crowds feed off of, right? Like crowds don't want to watch a half court offense all day. They want to watch like transition dunks and fun stuff, and that's what gets the crowd really buzzing and in the game. And you know, like good defense as well. Like and steals and stuff like that. That's what's going to get the crowd bumping, and the Knicks have that in spades. So, I mean, I think for for all that they fail that mm-hmm. in this game, I I really think ultimately what it comes down to for them now is just don't get rattled by physicality again, and don't let it take you off your spots. You know, yeah. don't let it like affect you mentally to where then you can't make shots. Because that's that was the biggest thing. I I still think like the main thing in this game was just the knicks went colossally cold as a team and just Mm -hmm. could not hit a single thing and if a couple of those shots went down maybe then they absorbed that physicality a little better and all of a sudden they're like no we're still making shots it's fine we're good you know it's like it was just one of those like collective hive mind effects that sometimes happens to a team where they just couldn't make anything and then all of a sudden the game just went totally off the rails in that second quarter and they were never able to get it back on the rails more than getting within like 18 or whatever um, which credit to the Cavs, they sort of yeah. had this collective hive mind of we can make all of our shots. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably my biggest thing going into the, into the next game.
0: It's interesting you note that just because I am curious. Like, you look at the Knicks at face value, you're thinking like, okay, Emmanuel quickly hasn't done a ton in this series neither has Quentin Grimes like RJ Barrett's shot just is not formulated like just forming for him in a proper way like that makes a meaningful impact a lot of it is just Quentin Grimes and Julius Randle and we're talking about how the Knicks maybe need a third guy to kind of emerge just to be like that third star in this but we can talk about that more in a second but let's take a quick break for any of the local sponsors or just inserted sponsors in between and we'll be right back with more of this locked on calves locked on knicks crossover uh, thanks again to everyone for sticking around for this locked on Cavs, locked on knicks crossover and before we get back into the conversation alex and i both just wanted to tell everyone that the knicks and the Cavs do play at madison square garden on friday at 8 30 p.m eastern you can catch every call of the Knicks or the Cavs Hometown Broadcast, which for the Cavs features Jim Jones and um, Tim Alcorn, and you just can find it all on the XXM app. Just search Knicks or Cavs on the app, depending on whatever home feed you want to listen to in this one. And it's interesting for me because I feel like the ca- for, in the Cavs' sake of things, Darius Garland really backed up a lot of what he said after game one saying like I need to be better and I need to do more and like I need to be more aggressive on offense and you could tell like he was kind of reading New York's defense a little bit and letting the shots come to him instead of pressing where in game one it felt like he was pressing a little bit maybe there was that just game one nerves like this is my first ever playoff game like I got to make a statement kind of thing and it devolved into at least in game one donovan mitchell just putting the team on his back offensively and then it was just a case of too little too late because the knicks were just were kind of like a cat playing with their food for the majority of that game but then you look at how donovan mitchell took like a secondary role and kind of acted as the facilitator and the creator for this team and you see darius garland just come in here and do darius garland things and just looks like an all-star level point guard and like a really, really good co-star next to Donovan Mitchell, and you're thinking, okay, the Cavs have a lot of positive momentum heading into Game 3, but to your point with the Garden fan, just the crowd of the Garden or just New York fans in general or Darius Garland even noting, like, hey, it's going to be chaotic. Like, no one in New York is rooting for us. Like, we have to just kind of internalize and not let the big picture impact us. We're talking about X-Factors heading into this series, and I know I had mentioned just like Isaac Okoro or Karis Levert. I think for me now at this point, it's Darius Garland, because if he continues just this level of play, and if him and Mitchell are able to just figure out this thunder and lightning dynamic that they have going, whether one of them is handling a lot of the offensive creation, but they're able to just feed off the gravity of one another because the Knicks are going to have a hard time containing both of them. Or if Karis Levert's on the floor with them too, like it's going to be even harder to contain those three. And as you had noted, just like the shooting edge the Cavs can kind of insert into the rotation does make things a little bit more chaotic, but Garland was masterful in game two for me. And I I know I'm probably waxing a little bit too much poetic here on the Cavs side of things, but like he, he was just really good. And I I'm curious to see how he looks in game three. Cause if he carries this momentum that he has from game two, like Cleveland could feel a little bit better about their chances, despite the fact that this is a hostile environment and no one in the garden wants to see the Cavs win. Maybe except my friend Jesse, if he's able to sneak in a ticket, despite how expensive nosebleeds are. <laughs>
1: yeah they certainly are yeah you ain't in cleveland anymore when it comes to ticket prices in new york
0: yeah nosebleeds Um, in cleveland were 38 bucks for game two and then he told me how much nosebleeds were in the garden i'm just like holy cow
1: yeah only like a cool 500 bucks or something yeah but um anyway yeah i mean i can't believe we went this far without talking about garland yet to be completely honest at least not in depth like I, i totally agree with you i think that he picked the knicks apart I got to give credit, you know, you you sort of referenced the tandem, but I got to give credit to the tandem of him and Mitchell too because I thought that Mitchell had a a visible gear shift in this game of Mm -hmm. being like, okay, I'm no longer going to be the primary scoring option. I got to get everybody else going if we're going to succeed. And he used the attention that the Knicks were giving him to then set up his teammates and, you know, also empowered Garland to run more offense and create more offense for himself, whereas I felt like, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I watched it as in-depth as you probably did in the first game as far as, like, how the offensive dichotomy was. I was kind mm-hmm. of just concerned, like, did they stop them? Did they not stop them? But it seemed to me in the first game, like, Garland was doing a lot of, like, off-ball stuff. Like, he was he was yeah. not initiating very often and was finding himself in, like, spot-up situations a lot and stuff where he's kind of more like like Brunson ish Uh, although Brunson actually does quite well in spot up situations but you know he he does really well if you just put the ball in his hands and are like okay dude like go figure something out and like you can go and cross somebody up and get a step back three or whatever and like that's what really like gets the juices pumping for him obviously and you could see it like he visibly looked more happy and like more like like engaged in this game like he was like really enjoying himself Mm. absolutely decimating the Knicks Um, (laughs) and like I just, it, you know, I think that's going to be key for them is like embracing Garland as much as possible on offense, and because Mitchell is so talented that he can sort of yeah. just do whatever, you know, like he can be a spot up guy, he could be an assist man, he can, and that's why you traded like that big package for him that the Knicks weren't willing to give up, you know. And I still stand by. I don't think the Knicks necessarily should have gone for that because I think that they're way further along than we figured they would be this year. But like. Mm-hmm. That's why you pay a premium for a dude like that and why the Knicks will probably look to pay a premium for a dude like that at some point because you need that guy that can just like do whatever is needed. You know, if if you need him to set things up, he can set things up. But if you need him to just go out there and get you the bucket, he could do that too. And in many ways, that is Jalen Brunson to give him credit too. But like, yeah, I I thought Garland just, again, there's only so many ways to put it, but like he picked them apart. He he was, you know, they were running lots of pick and rolls and he was just like, Taking advantage of many of the same things that Mitchell took advantage of in game one. It's just like, oh, you're not going to cover me? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. over this screen? Like, fine. Then I'll just shoot a three. and I'll make it. And you're just going to have to deal with that. Um, but, yeah, on top of that, I mean, even just having, like, Evan Mobley had a much better game this yeah. time around. Um, you know, shooting six of 11. Like, he still, 13 points doesn't look that great on the surface, but he was way more efficient, which was super important. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like they got Jared Allen more involved as a result of having, like, both Mitchell and Garland handling the ball more and having it be less ISO ball. Um, so I just think like the the decision to have if it was a conscious decision and not something just happened in game flow, but mm-hmm. you know, who however that came to be of Mitchell distributing more and not being as much the focal point, like the alpha and omega of the offense, that mm-hmm. was I think really one of the biggest keys to me.
0: And it it's interesting you mentioned just like Mitchell maybe taking more of a reserve role in this game, but he shared with the media leading up to Game 2 that he pulled Garland aside after Game 1 and just, like, the, the two of them just, like, had, like, a serious sit-down, like, heart-to-heart. Heart. They, they, they have a big brother... Shoot. Big brother-little brother situation between the two of them. And he just said, like, listen, this is what New York is doing to me in like pick and, like, picking rolls, or this is how they're defending me and, like, I noticed they're doing this to you. He's just like, let me kind of just do a couple things to make it easier for you. But he's like, when you have the ball and, like, you have these opportunities, I want you to shoot it. I want you to go, like... Darius sometimes is a little too unselfish when it comes to his playmaking where he like he would rather just rack up 2030 assists instead of like I remember once his career best game. Uh, I think he scored like 48 or so points and the Cavs lost. And they said like, oh, how does it feel to win this? He's like, I could care less. We lost. And like, I'd rather win. Like, I could score like 10 less points if that meant we we won the game. So that's just how he's wired. And I think sometimes like Darius just likes to probe the defense. He likes to figure things out. Maybe game one was a bit of a feeling out process for him because I don't want to say like he's entirely entirely reliant on Donovan Mitchell like, to like tell him what to do. But You had mentioned just, like, getting Mobley more involved. Like, I think Mobley and Allen especially, like, their primary focus was just limiting offensive, at least second-chance scoring opportunities off off offensive rebounds because the Cavs gave up 13 offensive boards in this game, but they limited the second-chance scoring chances for the Knicks. And you also noticed, like, the Cavs in general crashing the glass a lot more and just kind of limiting, like, Josh Hart or even um Julius Randall or Mitchell like it's hard to contain the Knicks but like the the Cavs made a more concerted effort to limit those opportunities and like even saw Dana Green defending um Randall well but back to the just getting this core four more involved like Mobley's more involved in that he was super efficient I agree with you like this was a much better game for him and and I think just kind of goes understated and it's just the Evan Mobley process where he tries to find himself but he'd rather just do the little things that ensures a win so I think the thirteen and thirteen is a victory in of itself. Just you take that if you're Evan Mobley. But the play that like really stuck out for me was garland was off ball and you had noted this and i think it was an adjustment just about the fact that in game one new york was making an effort to double or at least trap garland as soon as he crossed the timeline and then they were denying donovan mitchell the ball too just like it was really well drawn up defense by tibbs just to ensure that garland was flustered and then he couldn't dump it off to his security blanket in mitchell and then like the offense just kind of fell apart but in this game like you saw a lot of mitchell initiating the offense with garland playing off ball and like the the best Example of just the Cavs kind of figuring out a little bit of what New York was, how, or at least how New York is defending them, is the Knicks then go and try to double Mitchell, who then dumps it to Jared Allen, who's at the top of the key. You see the Knicks then collapse on Jared Allen, and Darius Garland's just wide open at the top of the perimeter, and he just holds his hand up, and Gar- Mitch Allen just kicks it right back out to him, and Garland gets a wide-open three that he hits with confidence, and that was one of those plays where you're like, okay, the, the Cavs are playing a little bit differently they understood the assignment they broke down the film like the guys are backing up a lot of what they said and if Darius Garland can keep this up I'm curious to see what adjustments New York does maybe they go back to a little bit more of what worked in game one and with the luxury of home court and just kind of being in the safer confines at home in general like you feel a little bit more at ease maybe doing some of this stuff but I agree with, like, just your initial point to you. Like, this is a heavyweight match between two teams that are just going blow for blow with one another. And I'm curious what 10% more for New York is going to be than if Sunday's game is 10% more from Cleveland or maybe 5% more from New York. And then you see back in Cleveland on Wednesday, 15% more from Cleveland. Like, this could be a bit of a grind out. And I know you said Knicks in 7. I said Cavs and 6. I think I'm going to stick by my pick of Cavs and 6 in this one. But... I know it's not a hot take, but I have a feeling that whoever wins game three very well could win this series overall, just because the Cavs have a ton of momentum. And if New York comes in and just beats the beats the crap out of them, like that's just going to stall them. And like, they're going to spiral a little bit heading into a matinee game on Sunday.
1: Yeah, it is really important, you know, that the Knicks win this next game, I think, because again, like I said, you know, like I said, at the open, like, this game was not what the Knicks needed. <laughs> like they did not need to yeah. get blown out. They needed to just be competitive. Like if you go home tied one to one, that's fine. But you can't you can't go home tied one to one doubting yourself. You know what I mean? Like you should be hanging your hat on that. Like we managed to snatch a game on the road. We have home court advantage now as long as we protect home court and we can close the series in game six at home. But you know, if they don't if they don't take care of business and this thing goes you know, they mm-hmm. lose this game, even saying they win game four. And this goes back to then just then it's just a three game series. And then everything starts fresh again at game five. And then it's just game five at Cleveland, game six at New York, game seven at Cleveland. And then you're, you're right back in the same place you were at the beginning. Yeah. So they, they've really got to take like take care of home court here. But they that starts with game three and they can't let this like fluster them. And they started to yeah. look a little flustered. And this is a team that has some flusterable dudes on it but also has some very stalwart guys, you know, like Julius Randall is the main one. Honestly, I hate to, I hate to keep pointing him out, but like he's easily flustered sometimes. And mm-hmm. sometimes it gets to him. He had that he like took on this whole new, like Zen yoga approach this year, you know, to like how he looks at life and basketball and everything else. And like, mm-hmm. he's going to need to center himself. Yeah. Julius or, or sorry. Jalen Brunson is going to need to keep everybody calm. Cause he's the most playoff tested guy on this roster at this point. Um, you know, and then and then the young guys still, I mean, the Knicks, you know, we didn't touch on it a ton, but, like, the same guys for the Knicks that didn't do a ton in the first game didn't really do anything in the second game either. Like, Emmanuel Quickly was a little better, but still didn't make nearly the impact you want. But Quinton Grimes was pretty invisible on offense, and R.J. Barrett was very inefficient, was yeah. kind of hijacking at times. Like, they, they got some stuff to figure out, and it, it probably mostly doesn't revolve around Randall Brunson. And yet it's also going to be up to Randall and Brunson to be the leaders yeah. the team needs. I'm really intrigued to see how they how they handle going back home and the pressures that come with that. And also how Tibbs adjusts. Because, you know, as I said, like Tibbs is a great game-to-game adjuster, not a great in-game adjuster. So he's going to need to come out with a great game yeah. plan like he did in game one. Or else the Knicks are just going to be behind the eight ball this whole game again uh, if he gets out-coached during the game again. So we'll see how it all goes. But it's going to be an intriguing Intriguing game three, and, and as you said, potentially a tone setter for the rest of the series.
0: Before we head out of here, uh, just to touch on the young Nick guys, and between just like Grimes, Barrett, and even quickly, like of those three, because we had touched on just like the Knicks maybe needing somebody else to emerge from the group just to support Randall and Brunson a bit. Just of those three, who do you think is the most likely to do so in game three? Quickly. I think it's Quickly.
1: If there's, if there's one guy on the Knicks that feeds the most off the garden crowd, I think it's him. I mean, he's just, he loves playing in Madison Square Garden and he loves the bright lights and he loves canning a three and making the place just erupt. And he seems to just live for those moments. Um, he also lives at his best for snatching the souls of a team on the road too, but he's just, he is made for Madison Square Garden. And he, like I said, he sort of got back on the right path, and they made a concerted effort, especially once things were out of hand down the stretch of Game Two, to get him more involved and start getting him like mm-hmm. the reps that he's going to hopefully need to like start contributing better. Um, if he can come out and and you know feel himself again on the Garden floor, he's he's going to be the guy. He'll be the third guy to step up for the Knicks. I
0: think. Well, I think that's why he is likely going to win Six Man of the Year too. Just like he is that dude in New York, and I. <laughs> Yeah, here's hoping, but I, I, I have been surprised that Emmanuel quickly just hasn't emerged quite as much. But I agree, getting those reps down the stretch in game two, despite it being uh, over pretty quickly, or not pretty quickly, but over before the final buzzer rang, um, could, could be a bit of a difference maker for New York in this one. But as we get out of here, I just want to thank the dedicated listeners for both Locked on Cavs and Locked on Knicks for making our shows their first listen every day. After Friday's game on the Locked On Cavs side of things, Chris and I will be doing a full recap and analysis of this third act in this best of series, best of seven series title fight between New York and Cleveland. Alex, what do you and Gavin have going on on your end?
1: Uh, I will actually be off for Friday's game. So okay. Gavin, I believe, has secured a guest in my stead uh, to cover the game. So Gavin will be covered on Locked On Knicks as well and a podcast out on Saturday morning in your feeds just like we do all the time because we're always here five days a week, sometimes six mm-hmm. days a week, sometimes seven days a week. You never know around this time of year. So, uh, yeah. Thank you everybody for listening. And, uh, I'm sure you'll be hearing plenty more from both of us and hopefully some more crossovers too. Cause yeah. I gotta say, I have I've been loving these, these periodic crossovers, man. You yeah, guys are great I have too.
0: No, this, this <laughs> has been delightful. Uh, you Gavin, uh, Chris is all right, but you guys are great. Um so this this has been fun. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do more cross crossovers just even general NBA stuff if we just want to pick each other's brains and just on the takes of how things are going. But guys, if you're unlocked on, on Cavs, check out Locked on Knicks to get a full understanding of what New York has going on in this series. We've seen a ton of Knicks fans in our comments on YouTube and just it's the occasional review saying that they've been listening to Locked on Cavs. So we appreciate the little love from the New York way uh coming our way. So until next time, I'm Evan. That's Alex. This is Locked on Cavs. He is Locked on Knicks. And we will be back on Saturday morning.